Hello, everyone. Welcome to Co-op Conversations podcast, a podcast uh, about um, people living and working in, in housing cooperatives. And today we are joined by Paul Bradley, who is the CEO of Rock USA, uh, an organization that he founded in 2008 to make resident ownership uh, of mobile home parks viable from coast to coast. And we are also joined by Christy Peterman, uh, a resident and vice president of Liberty, Liberty Landing Cooperative, a resident-owned community in Liberty, Missouri. Christy was the secretary on the board of Liberty Landing when they went through the process of purchasing the community. And in the middle of her term, uh, the vice president resigned, so she was voted into that position. So I read an article about Rock USA and a group of mobile home park residents who bought their, their land and became a cooperative a few years ago. And I shared this story on social media. And, uh, and then I did so many times since then because you know I kept coming across similar articles and I've been wanting to find out more ever since. And I'm very happy to have uh, Paul and Christy here to share, share their stories. So uh, without further ado, welcome Paul and Christy. Thank you very much for uh, accepting my invitation to, uh, to be guests on our uh, Co-op Conversations podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Julie. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Paul, let's uh, let's start with you. Can you please explain what uh, what Rock USA is and and what it does? Sure, Julie. So, uh, Rock USA is a, a national nonprofit, and our sole purpose is to help homeowners in mobile home parks or manufactured home communities purchase their communities as co-ops. So, in the U.S. and Canada and several countries around the world. There are homeowners who own their homes, but rent the lot beneath their homes from a commercial investor. And so for the last 40 years in New Hampshire and for the last 15 plus years nationally, we've been helping homeowners form not-for-profit cooperatives to buy the land and to operate their communities on a cooperative basis while retaining individual ownership of their homes. So how many resident-owned communities are there in the U.S.? Uh, in our network, there are 312 shared equity resident-owned communities, home to about 22,000 homeowners, and currently in 21 states. Okay, well, that's quite a bit. And um, so can you walk us through a little bit of, uh, of Rock USA's history, like when it started and, and how, you know, and how you got involved? I, I understand you were the founder or one of the founders of, of Rock USA? Yeah, so uh, beginning in 1984, as I said, in New Hampshire, uh, there was a nonprofit organization called the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund, one of the first community loan funds in the country. Um, and uh, they provided a loan to a group of, of uh, 13 homeowners in Meredith, New Hampshire. But back in that period, condominiums were be being developed uh, throughout the region and in particular, uh, on the north side of Lake Winnipesaukee, uh, a, uh, an area of tourism, uh, condominium development was, was really um, you know, reaching far and wide. And so the homeowners were really concerned that the, 
the piece of land they lived on would be bought and redeveloped. Um, but the elderly owners of the community really uh, wanted the homeowners to get control and get security. So uh, they worked with them and they found the New Hampshire Community Loan Fund. Uh, the Catholic uh, Order of Nuns, the uh, Sisters of Mercy provided the loan fund, a $38,000 loan, which the loan fund turned around and loaned to the co-op. And it became the first shared equity residential community in the state. Uh, I came along on staff in 1988 um, when we had uh, just a handful of co-op communities at that time. And over the course of, of uh, what, 15 or so years, uh, grew that to about 88 co-ops. Um, and at that point, uh, now we're into the mid-2000s, the question being asked was, well, how do, how do we make resident ownership viable in other places? in other states. And so Rock USA was developed uh, by myself and several others to scale resident ownership across the country. And that's what we've been doing since 2008 uh, and working with community groups like Liberty Landing uh, to help them purchase their community. Uh, so Christy, you're uh, living at Liberty Landing. And uh, so can you explain a little bit how how it became a cooperative and, and how you became involved? I've lived here since 1998. I've been here for 25 years. And um, I knew like a few people, you know, just kind of living your life. Um, then one day we came home and there was a notice on the door and it said, exciting new changes are coming. And as everybody knows, when you get a notice on your door that says exciting new changes are coming, generally that means it's not exciting. It's just a new change. Um, <laughs> It invited us all up to a meeting and uh, where we discovered that uh, our owners, Lucy and Jessica, were going to be selling the park and there were some representatives of Rock USA there. Um, I had actually heard about Rock USA. I had read an article about another community that had become one several years ago and I kind of kept that information in my back pocket because I thought, you know, that that's a real that's a real concern when you live in a manufactured home community. You own your home, but you don't own the land. Um, so we had a few more meetings and the community formed a co-op and we elected an interim board to look in to see if this was actually possible, if we could get this off the ground and if we could, could actually do it. And uh, we did our due diligence and we discovered that, okay, we could, it would take a lot of work and, and we could do this, but we presented that to the membership and it was a unanimous vote to go ahead and let's become a co-op. Let's become a, a resident owned community. Well, that's interesting that it was uh, unanimous. Uh, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe Paul, you can elaborate on this. What happens when it's not unanimous? What, I mean, obviously it's, it's much easier when it is and everyone's on the same page. But, you know, undoubtedly, there are people who are probably wanting to hold back and, and uh, for whatever reason. So how like how do you you know, how do you handle that? Yeah, our minimum standard, Julie, is 51 percent approval of the homeowners. So 51 percent of the homeowners as members of the co-op and a majority approval to purchase the community. But we have not seen those minimums, uh, if ever, in a long, long time. Um, what's more more common recently is, uh, as Christy noted here, 100% approval, a large percentages uh, voting in favor of, because uh, with the internet, 
uh, information about how the industry is organized and how some uh, community operators view the residents, view uh, how to manage and operate communities, really not in the best interest of homeowners. Uh, people now understand what used to be sort of a dirty little secret in the in the business. Now it's all out in the open. So homeowners have access to a lot more information and they're making an informed decision to purchase. And, and when they are given a viable opportunity to purchase, uh, they're voting in large percentages to buy their communities. Um, our challenge is producing viable opportunities because these properties have become so expensive um, that, you know, that that we're battling every day to find the resources to make these affordable purchases. But uh, when given a viable opportunity, homeowners are voting in large percentages to buy. Right. And what would you say is the time frame of of that increase in, in property prices? Like, you know, when when did when did the prices start going up? Uh, really began uh, right rising uh, beginning in 2011, 2012, after the financial crisis, um, I began to see a lot of new private equity players coming into the business. In terms of brand name private equity, Carlisle Group entered the business in 2014. All of the big private equity firms are in the business now. And um, really, but like with single family homes, it's small and medium-sized private equity that owns the bulk of these properties. And I saw that group, uh, you know, what I, what I saw was a lot of former uh, finance people in corporate America who left corporate America coming into the, and, and discovering, quote unquote, the mobile home park business as a sleepy little, you know, industry that um, where they, they, where they could increase rents dramatically and generate tremendous profits. So throughout the 2010s, mid 2010s, and and to through COVID, um, significant uh, investment equity dollars coming into the business, driving up prices um, because it's it's a relatively small industry. There are somewhere between 45 and 50 thousand mobile home parks or manufactured home communities in the country about 3 million homes on, on, uh, in those communities. And so it's not a large industry segment, but there's equity flowing in from around the world, from Singapore, uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund, you know, all over the world pouring into this little industry and it's impacting homeowners uh, through higher, higher and higher site fees. Hmm. So Chrissy, you, you must feel like you've dodged a bullet, you know, that, you know, you must feel like, you know, you bought at the, at the right time uh, and, uh, you know, having control over your, your community and, and keeping your homes affordable. Yes, uh, that, that is probably the biggest understatement you could say. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, getting up when I, when they held elections for the interim board, um, and I ran for secretary, and my words were, as getting up in front of my community, was like, I believe this is a golden opportunity um, that we would be very foolish to walk away from, and I still believe that. Um, and to a lot of what Paul said about these private investment corporations that come through. We have been a, a resident-owned community for two years, and we are still getting all kinds of 
um, solicitations from uh, people in Las Vegas, uh, people in California, people in, you know, way far away from Missouri that are thinking, oh, we're interested in buying your mobile home community, you know, blah, blah. And, you know, we throw all that away, but they're still nosing around uh, trying to buy things. And there are other manufactured housing communities uh, in our regional area that have been purchased by those private investment groups. And the first things they do is they raise the rent and they do things like if there's a pool or a, a community playground or something like that, they bulldoze those. They they close those down because they cost money to run. So you get less bang for your rent buck, but your rent goes up. And that was that's something that we don't have to worry about anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's great. Do you yeah. have uh, many people from other uh, manufactured home communities that you know come and talk to you to ask you questions, to ask you about the process? Um, yes, um, we do. Um, a lot of people, uh, not so many around here. Uh, the big thing around here is like we get people who want to move out of those communities and move into ours. Um, uh, we we do get um, people who are interested in working with Rock. I mean, they've been they've been guided to us if they want to talk to us about you know the process and how it goes and what it means. So we've talked to a few brand new communities about things like that, um, but around here, not so much. We're the only resident owned community in Missouri, so we're we're still kind of an outlier. Mm, the one, the one and only. <laughs> The one, the, the first, we like to say that we're the first yes. and hopefully many. And, yeah. and uh, it is our objective to, to see more resident ownership in, in Missouri, in the Kansas City area, for sure, to join right. with the, the folks at Liberty. And I was just going to say, in terms of Christy's point about uh, closing down pools and gathering uh, sites for homeowners, it's actually a, a part of the training that would-be investors can get from Mobile Home University which has trained over 100,000 potential investors coming into this, into this industry segment. Um, they actually uh, train people to close down facilities where homeowners, what they would call tenants, uh, could get together and talk with one another uh, and compare notes. Um, and just the opposite, as Christy's also reflecting in terms of resident ownership, we want co-op obviously within communities for, for people to build those connections. They're in business together after all. They're neighbors, they're aligned owners of their neighborhood. Um, but we also encourage and support co-op leaders connecting with other co-op leaders uh, within states or across the, across the country. Because uh, we think the strength of resident ownership is actually in community leaders like Christy, those that connect with others and um, you know build, build their uh, community-based power, uh, to be to be frank about it. Uh, so we have just the opposite idea. Like we want to do whatever we can do to help co-op leaders connect with one another, um, and um, and it's just night and just just a very different approach, obviously. Yeah. Well, I was I was looking. I did a little bit of uh, sleuthing on on Rock USA's website and and Liberty Landing's website as well, which are are both fantastic. And uh, I saw the the list of amenities 
that are available at Liberty Landing, like a swimming pool and a, 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 like a, a meeting room with a, with a kitchen and, and a pool table and, uh, you know, a park for kids. And, and it just sounds, you know, really nice, like a really great way to build community. And obviously the original owners, you know, put these amenities in and and the fact that these investment groups are are shutting everything down i mean it's it's obviously you know they're just in it for for the money and you know and this is the the last one of the last rocks that they've left unturned and and they're you know going in like predators buying everything up um but you know so glad to see that that your work is having such a an amazing impact and and uh and and uh, you know it's it's such a it's one of these forms of affordable housing that has been overlooked as well. Uh, you know, the fact that you can purchase your own, you know, manufactured home for, I don't know, what, fifty, sixty thousand uh, dollars and uh, and then if you can be, uh, you know, part of a collective and, and collectively own your your land uh you're you're set and uh you know and the fact that more people ha you know aren't doing this is uh is kind of you know i don't know it's uh, it's mind boggling but uh but you're putting you're putting uh, these communities on on the map and uh that's uh you know very commendable um so you use uh, a limited equity model correct for yeah so can you maybe walk us through that a little bit yeah, Christy, you want to take the first shot at that? I do not. I'm going to let you take the first shot at that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm the technical guy on the call. So, um, yeah. So, first off, recognize that in a manufactured home community, people own their homes and they rent the site. So, the cooperative is formed to buy the, the, the parcel of land that is the community. Um, and so, the co-op now has a... Uh, a leasehold relationship with the co-op member on the one member, one vote uh, basis. Um, people own their home outright in advance and they continue to own their home outright uh, after co-op purchase. The co-op just takes no possession, no financial interest in the home itself. And Christy is welcome to sell her home in the marketplace for fair market value uh, and the new member simply, the buyer simply needs to be approved by the co-op coming in, uh, like any like any community owner would require. Now, on the co-op side, though, the co-op bought the property with uh, nonprofit resources, um, you know, largely uh, debt at a high loaned value that only the type the public sector and the nonprofit sector offer. Uh, banks stop at 75 or 80 percent loan to value. Rock USA as a nonprofit is lending up to 110 percent loan to value. So we're, you know, not a conventional bank. We are a nonprofit community development financial institution with a customized product to fix this problem, right, to help homeowners buy the land. But what the IRS actually requires of us in exchange for using charitable resources to provide this kind of high loan to value financing is that the land is preserved long-term. So Christy and the other members at Liberty Landing are not financially incentivized to get together and sell the community for a windfall profit. What they, if they did choose to sell the property, which is in their rights, they are the owners, but there's no profit 
motive behind that sale. They would simply get paid back their membership interest and any other proceeds would go to a nonprofit doing affordable housing in that area. So we've removed the profit motive from reselling the land, which means there's no reason to get together and think about selling the land. Um, and uh, it, the community is preserved long-term. So it is a middle way shared equity strategy. Homes build wealth, sell into the marketplace. The land is preserved long-term and uh, it is everybody's objective for Liberty Landing forever to be uh, an affordable resident-owned manufactured home community. Um, and that's how we've gone about that. And um, it's limited equity also in the sense that the shares are very affordable. Um, Christy, what are membership shares at Liberty Landing? How much? $350. Yeah. So each, oh, okay. each owner-occupied home can buy one share for $350. That is fixed. That does not appreciate over time. When Christy moves out, she'll get her $350 back. And the new member coming in will pay $350. So it's a fixed equity uh, share. Um, and there's no fancy accounting, no, no debates about the accounting. It is what it is. Um, but when you're only raising $350 per household per member, you're not generating a lot of equity in the deal. So that's why you need uh, all the debt financing. Um, but it, what, it, what it results in is very, it's very easy for homeowners to buy a share and become a voting member. And that's ultimately what we're interested in, right? Is aligned ownership in the community. Everyone owns their home. Everyone owns one share in the co-op and has one vote in the co-op. We've now created what used to be bifurcated ownership, owned homes, rented land. Now we have aligned ownership, owned homes, and a one member, one share vote co-op. Um, and that supports the economic security of the neighborhood. That also supports the long-term preservation of the neighborhood and the social engagement because everybody's coming from the same basic place from an economic standpoint. Um, so that's how it all holds together. But it's a middle way affordable housing community preservation strategy, both wealth building and community preservation. And do the uh, do the mobile homes, uh, do they uh, acquire much, um, like, do they increase much in market value? They do, yeah. Like compared to like a standalone home or uh, like how how would you compare them? Yeah, so there's actually a consumer union uh, did a study on this in the early 2000s. Um, and you could Google manufactured housing appreciation study consumer union. Uh, what they basically documented was that uh, at the time, a third of all manufactured housing was appreciating. Um, and then if you controlled for a couple of things, manufactured housing can appreciate at the same rate as, as detached single family. And two of the things that they controlled for was security of land tenure. Is there, is there security of land tenure through ownership in terms of a co-op, uh, through a long-term lease? If it was an investor owner that offered a long-term lease, that homeowners would know that the land could not be sold out from under them the community closed down or the rents be raised dramatically, you know, um, that is contributory in terms of value to the house. And then uh, access to decent financing uh, for the homes. 
And if you have those interventions, security of land tenure and access to decent financing, then uh, uh, manufactured housing can and does appreciate. Um, and we've documented this uh, in a 2006 study by the University of New Hampshire, where homes in resident-owned communities were selling at, for prices 16% more than comparable homes in comparable investor-owned communities in the same towns. We found eight towns with communities that were very similar, one resident-owned, one investor-owned, and uh, homes and co-ops were selling faster and for 16% more than those homes in investor-owned communities. And that was that was uh, almost 20 years ago now. Um, and one thing that is very true, the longer the co-op owns the property, the more affordable the site fees, the more appreciation of the homes. Oh, okay, interesting. And yeah. do some of yeah. these investor groups, do they do they buy some of the homes as well? Or just the land? They do. Um, there was a very significant event in the manufactured housing sector uh, back in 2000. And it was the literal collapse of the housing finance system uh, at the time. It's the personal property finance market um, and the commercial mortgage, the, the commercial uh, asset backed securities market. Um, this industry went from producing 380,000 homes or floors in uh, 1998 to less than 50,000 uh, by 2003. And the result, the, the reason for that was the literal collapse of the housing finance system in the business. It's called the chattel collapse. It was so bad that the uh, personal property finance business that Conseco Insurance Company bought, Green Tree was the name of the company, uh, sent Conseco into bankruptcy in 2002. At the time, it was the third largest bankruptcy in U.S. history brought down by the little mobile home finance division called Green Tree. We had over a million repossessed units in the Southeast uh, in, in that period. So that was a very significant event that led the traditional business model of owning the land and selling the homes now became in some instances, own the land and also own the home and rent out the home. And so you do see uh, some of that especially in the Southeast where there was all those repossessed homes and where the personal property lenders did not come back to the market in a robust way because the losses were so so significant. Um, and here we are 23 years later and there's a lot of remnants of that two, you know, 2000 uh, chattel collapse still evident in the marketplace. And one of the ways you see it is in these these rental homes. Um, but what we what we look for on the co-op side is this is a model that works for homeowners. Um, so if if a community purchase if a co-op purchases a community with a couple of rental homes, uh, they quickly sell those homes to the occupants and uh, and get the community to 100% homeowners. Because uh, okay. this really is a model that you know for for homeowners, it's not a model. Christie does not want to be renting. Uh, and the board of directors, they just not want to be renting homes. They want to, they want to operate the, the co-op in the community, not a home rental business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are yeah. a resident-owned community, so you have to be an <laughs> owner, and that you know that goes beyond just owning your home. You know, you own the whole community. 
Um, and, you know, to what you said before about these investment companies that come in and you use the word predator, and um, that is a lot of what they do. Um, they're, we call them manufactured homes. The, the older term was called mobile home because, you know, they're, they're movable, so to speak. They're really not. They're not designed to be moved very often. And to pull one out now, I think, roughly costs around $10,000. Um, it, and it's, there's some damage that can be done to the home when it's moved that you have to have people who are licensed. It's not like you can just, you know, hook up your pickup to it and pull it off out into the woods somewhere. Um, it's a whole process. So when a lot of these investment companies go in and they buy communities and they raise the rents and they get rid of all of this stuff, a lot of people can't afford to live there anymore. They also can't afford to pull out their home. So they either have to sell it or they abandon it. And when these companies get a hold of it, they they kind of they start renting it out. So they're renting it out at a higher rent rate because now they own it. Um, it's it's definitely not affordable housing. Um, I know that there is um, a community that's in our area where there's a, a somebody that I know personally that is paying right around fifteen hundred dollars a month for a home that is smaller than mine. Our lot rent is four hundred and eighty five. That is what our rents are. So it, it you see like the the drastic difference in what affordable is and what affordable isn't and what mm -hmm. some of these outside investors do and what a rock um, gives you some insurance against. Yeah. Yeah. So in your case, in, in Liberty Landing's case, the, the owner wanted to sell to the residents, right? Yes. And yes. so that seems like the ideal scenario. Does that happen very often? I would uh so it's the Hawley family that uh, owned and developed Liberty Landing over 40 years or so. Um, you know, uh, Lucy Hawley, who was the, the principal owner and manager of the, of the community, uh, learned about resident ownership back in 2008 and headed in the back of her mind all along that she wanted to sell to the homeowners. And so when they got ready to close down their real estate business and sell the community, they called us. And I would say, Julie, that is, uh, that is rare that a uh, community owner will call us. Some, it has happened, uh, but she's really extraordinary. Uh, she did not want to sell out to some of these aggressive private equity players. And as she described it to me, you know, she got to know the homeowners in the community and really cares about people there. And she could not live with herself if she put them in a really bad situation. Um, and so she she was very committed um, and uh, to selling to the homeowners from, a, from very early on. Most times we're approaching community owners and educating them about resident ownership and encouraging them to think uh, of the homeowners. And, you know, it's a small percentage of community operators that um, that will engage uh, with us and through the process. Um, that's just, you know, for lack of familiarity uh, as a general rule, you know, it's easier to sell to, it's easier to think that selling to somebody like yourself is gonna be easier, but we have testimonial after testimonial of sellers saying selling to the co-ops was actually easier than selling to third-party investors. Um, and so mm, interesting. It's, it's on us, it's on 
leaders like Christy, you know, to help find as many community operators and educate them early before they, before they um, even are committed to selling their community, but to begin to educate them so that they can get comfortable with the idea. Um, and uh, the more we can find, the better. So you obviously can't be all over the country uh, doing this work. So you work with regional affiliates uh, called, you know, certified technical assistance providers uh, who in turn work closely with the, with the board of directors. So um, like, do they go through some kind of training? My understanding is that they're, they're, they, they seem to be kind of like, you know, I, I call myself a Julie of all trades. So they're Jack Jack of all trades. They they seem to be working in, in affordable housing in, in general. And is this is something that they kind of do on on the side? Or can can you maybe explain a little bit how how those regional affiliates uh how they work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we operate with uh two ways of providing technical assistance. We have a network of 10 nonprofit affiliates that are licensed to work in 19 states. Um, and these are traditional affordable housing uh, developer organizations or cooperative technical assistance centers. And then we have about an equal amount of, of each in the network. Um, and they operate as independent organizations, but under an agreement with us to provide residential community technical assistance services. And then we also developed a national direct team because there were and actually Liberty Landing was first in this respect as well, because Liberty Landing came to us during the pandemic and we needed, you know, uh, we, we were not going to let uh, Liberty Landing uh, fall through the cracks for lack of having a technical assistance affiliate in Missouri. So one of our lead staffers, Angela Romeo, um, supported the homeowners through the process in in Liberty. Uh, and we developed uh, uh, around Angela, beneath Ange Angela, a, a national direct team. So now we have an agile team that can go to the other states that we don't have an affiliate in. Um, and eventually we'll build affiliate relationships in those, in those states, but we needed to be more agile uh, to serve communities like like Liberty Landing in also Mount Bethel, Pennsylvania, similar story, you know, so that team is is uh, putting some mile of John and, and serving communities at a distance, uh, but we had to get to more places more quickly. Um, so it's, we, we serve now the entire country coast to coast with technical assistance services. These are very specialized services, Julie. So um, the staff that are supporting resident communities uh, are in and in deep because it's, uh, and Christy can attest, I mean, it's complicated. There's a lot going on. Um, you know, these are cooperative businesses operating a piece of commercial real estate uh, and, you know, playing, you know, in the in traditional parlance, landlord tenant, uh, you know, relations, if you will. So, um, so there's a lot going on and, and we, we try to build up the technical expertise and the organizational development expertise to support strong resident-owned communities and, and support boards of directors like Christie serves on. And you support them throughout the length of the, of the mortgage? We do provide uh, for the length of the loan, which typically is a 10-year loan, sometimes 15, and if it's mm -hmm. refinanced for another 10. 
Um, uh, and then we always, regardless of whether uh, co-op has financing with us, we have services that are available to co-ops. Um, so we have an online uh, training, no surprise, uh, learning management system called Rocket. Uh, that's free and accessible to any co-op member across the country. We do regional trainings. We do uh, national convenings. Um, so we have both uh, borrowers and non-borrowers that participate in those activities. But for specialized on-site training and coaching, um, there's a there's a contract, uh, services contract to support the, the the technical assistance that's going on in those cases. Okay. Have you followed any of this training, Chrissy? I'm assuming that you have. You're nodding. Oh, yes, I have. Yeah. Um, I've, there's a lot of courses out there. I think I, I think I've done like around 16 or 17. Um, but it's it, it's training in about everything. Um, there's conflict resolution. There's communication. There's um, how to be a board member. There's infill and marketing. There's um, wellness training and things like that. Um, and you, you don't have to be a board member. I mean, anybody who is in Iraq can do this. Um, most of the training is at your own pace, although there are some live sessions and I really enjoyed the live sessions. You know, we got on Zoom and you meet people from other rocks around, but it's it's very helpful. Oh, that's good, yeah. Uh, yeah, I noticed that there was a lot of online training. Is that is that something that came about uh, from COVID lockdowns or, or were, you, were you one of the trailblazers and, and offering online training before? everyone was uh, introduced to to zoom and teams and <laughs> all these online platforms well julie we 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 tried to be ahead of the curve for sure we took two previous attempts to develop an online learning management system and uh training program and uh we were unsuccessful um these were uh and it wasn't till our to our current leadership, Colleen Lindecker, uh, and that team, which came out of uh, online education at, at the university level, um, that and they really knew and know how to do it. Um, and they have been incredibly successful. Um, but it, it was my lack of familiarity with online education and training that led to, you know, uh, our, our failed efforts, but now we're so, Technically, we tried to be innovators before COVID. Uh, we ended up being uh, being uh, implementers during COVID, but nonetheless, we're there now, and I couldn't be more happy. And it's all part of, you know, where Rock USA itself is a social venture, and we're called on for a, to a wide array of things. Um, and uh, you know, like every organization, every nonprofit, you know, we we have our challenges in terms of in you know resources to to uh you know help uh help build the team build the capacity and put the right right uh, tools and and resources together um so but we're there now and i couldn't be happier rocket uh rocket uh, is our online training system both for ta providers our staff and for co-op members and the next great frontier there is how do we uh, support peer networking in conjunction with online education. Uh, and uh, because as I said, you know, we, we strongly support co-op leaders uh, connecting with peers, um, sharing information, working together. Um, and we actually uh, go so far as to support movement building among co-ops. 
uh, we firmly believe that co-op leaders are the most articulate and the best position to drive public policy changes, to develop resource uh, opportunities in states and locally and, and nationally um, to support strong resident-owned communities. So, uh, so we have a, a service unit here at Rock USA uh, that was, was begun in 2021 called Rock Movement. And it is specifically to support rock leaders stepping up and stepping out and self-advocating. Because uh, it's just worth noting, um, you know, this is a housing stock that has uh, has been the stepchild of affordable housing, largely ignored and dismissed. And uh, so we're having to we're having to challenge stigma across the board. And frankly, the best way to do that is to introduce people like Christy, who can self-represent herself as a dedicated, knowledgeable, you know, hard, hardworking, um, you know, co-op leader uh, who loves her home and loves her community. And, you know, is just doing, you know, she's one of one of many co-op leaders just doing amazing work. So we just want to showcase that, um, and let give her a voice. Well, you do a great job, uh, you know, looking at your your website and all of the the video testimonials that I, I you know, I watched, I don't know, like maybe between five and ten. You know, I, I couldn't stop watching them because they were, you know, they're they're nice and short and and it's, you know, residents telling their their stories and it's very you know, very motivating, very inspiring. And, you know, there's nothing better than, you know, talking to the residents to to showcase, you know, the benefits of, of, of being, you know, resident, you know, being owners of, of your, of your land. And uh, yeah, so your communications program is very effective. And uh, yeah, and, and, and hearing the voices of the, of the residents is the, the best way to, uh, to, to get that message across. So Christy, I wanted to ask you, so how, how has it changed your life becoming uh, a leader of your community and 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 you know taking part in uh, purchasing your land. How how has it changed you? Um. Wow. Uh, there. Where to, where to begin? Um. <laughs> I I would like to say that Lucy Lucy by selling to us and wanting to sell to us was just the biggest gift um, that that she could have given to us and. Uh, that the fact that Rock USA exists is a second big gift. Um, I mentioned before that I've, I moved in here in 1998. Um, I, I took a job in Kansas City and I had been a renter before and my husband and I had to move up into Kansas City and we were looking around at, for rental places and nobody wanted to rent to us that we wanted to rent from because we had two dogs, three cats and two aquariums. And you know, that that's, that's a bit of pets there. Um, so, I was, I was running out of time. You know, my, my job had put me up in a hotel and I was running out of time and I was driving back and I passed you know, a place that was selling mobile homes. And I thought, ah, oh, that's an interesting idea. And then looking at, you know, manufactured home communities. And I went driving around and we looked, my husband and I looked at all of the, the communities around here. Liberty Landing was the one that really stuck out. Um, I have a military background and it reminded me a lot of base housing. There's a lot of green space. It was very neat. There's driveways. It, it wasn't just trailers on asphalt. It was a community. And I'd lived here for 25 years, 23 years when we went through the, the process of buying the park. And I knew the neighbors on either side of me. I was acquainted with some neighbors across the street, you know, enough to wave and say hi. 
once we bought the the community and formed our cooperative and elected our board, we know everybody now. Everybody knows everybody. Um, I noticed immediately as you're driving through the community on the way and you pass people, people wave. Nobody did that before. Um, we recognize each other. You see people out walking. Um, and recently, in addition to our pool and our clubhouse with the kitchen, that's actually two levels, our storm shelters downstairs, but it's also like a big party room and a little and a couple of playgrounds. We recently um, did a ribbon cutting for a family recreation area. We have two pavilions and a fire pit that's right off to the side and cleared out some space for a large, a larger green space that you know people can reserve. Um, they reserve our clubhouse for things like baby showers and birthday parties and Halloween parties and now they can reserve uh, a pavilion. We've got picnic tables and grills under each pavilion. So you could, when it's not you know, really cold outside, you can, I don't know, have a, a picnic with your family or uh, have a baby shower or birthday party out there. And um, we're starting to do, uh, to build community engagement because we've discovered everybody likes a bonfire. And on Fridays, we're doing Friday fires where we're going to go out and have a bonfire every Friday. and roast some marshmallows and make some s'mores and just sit around and and talk, get to know each other. Um, so I, our, we're not just a neighborhood anymore. Um, we are a community and there is a big difference in the two. A neighborhood is just people who live near each other. Um, a community is actually a group of people who live near each other and know each other and pull together and do things together. And that's what we've become. Yeah. That's great. I love hearing that. And and it, and it makes you much more resilient as well. Like, especially, you know, I've heard so many stories of uh, of cooperatives all around the world that survived the, the lockdowns because they mm -hmm. were a community and people were, you know, helping each other out and, and, and keeping morale up. Um, so uh, your community is very well positioned to withstand uh you know all kinds of challenges including I, I also read on the website that you have a storm shelter so yeah. you're <laughs> you're you're well prepared for the apocalypse <laughs> well well you know we live in tornado alley so a storm shelter is, yeah. is kind of a must <laughs> um so paul i i also saw that you announced recently that you will be leaving your position of president of rock usa uh, to become CEO of, of a new venture called Integrity Community Solutions, mm -hmm. uh, which will be a subsidiary of, of Rock USA. Yep. Uh, well, congratulations on, on this new development. And, and, uh, and so this is to basically deal with, uh, with these huge uh, investment uh, corporations that are, that are swooping in and, and, and buying all, all the land. Uh, so can you tell us a bit more about uh, what your plans are with uh, Integrity Community Solutions? Yeah, happy to. Um, so what Liberty Landing represents is a, you know, a longtime owner, single manufactured home community um, that uh, was a co-op, a direct co-op purchase, right? Seller selling a single community to a single co-op makes perfect sense. It's what we've been doing for 40 years uh, and uh, wonderful. The challenge is that now three quarters of mobile home park sales a year are now portfolios of multiple communities. So 
all of the private equity players that have been coming into the business have been consolidating the industry, building portfolios of multiple properties, and then selling the entire portfolio in the business, what's called up the food chain to more institutional like investors that will pay higher prices and lower cap rates. So it's just a nature of, of industry consolidation that's you know, not unlike consolidations that's happening in a lot of industries in Canada, the US, the world over. So we, we've known we've needed to confront the consolidation of the industry if we're gonna help really the, the most local ownership of, of all, resident ownership, um, of single properties, we're going to have to confront this consolidation problem. The first thing we had we had to do is really build our capacity to support resident ownership across the country from coast to coast, which we now have between the network and our direct team. And then uh, we know we knew we would need to establish an organization that could acquire portfolios, manage them on an interim basis make them co-op ready and then offer individual communities to individual resident groups and so that's the purpose for in integrity community solutions to buy portfolios manage them on an interim basis and then sell them one by one to the homeowners which is a democratic process uh, on the co-op side they need to decide whether they want to purchase the property or not but we're gonna make that property uh, available to them. And my objective is to make it affordable, as affordable as we possibly can, and also <clears throat> develop the sales timeline based on a healthy cooperative development process. Because one of the things that happens in the single transaction direct to co-op business is uh, and in most cases, we're doing things on commercial timelines. So we're helping new co-ops get formed and purchase their communities within a four-month period. Um, wow. It's incredibly awesome. fast, but the only way most community operators will deal with the co-op purchaser is if it's based on timeframes that they see in the commercial market. Um, mm -hmm. And it's even the commercial market has sped up, uh, head sped up. It's now slowed down with the with the uh, commercial credit constriction that we're seeing across the across the country now, but uh, but you know we had we had cash buyers for properties buying communities you know on thirty and sixty days uh, during the the height of this recent run up, so that we never competed with, but you know certainly helping co ops buy their properties within one hundred and twenty days, which is just very short time frame for for good cooperative development. So. We're going to be able to smooth the process out a little bit as well. What I say, our objective is to make the communities co-op ready and then build a, a sales process and a purchase process that really makes sense on the cooperative development side. Um, so that's what we're uh, endeavoring to do. We Rock USA has incorporated the subsidiary. We've capitalized it initially, uh, and will be, uh, and we're beginning to look for you know small portfolios now. Um, and I just had to confront Julie, you know, the significant uh, bandwidth uh, involved in both uh, leading Rock USA and all of the complexity we just talked about, 
and then launching a new enterprise. And, you know, the, the fact is I'm towards the end of my career uh, as it is. So succession was on my mind for Rock USA. Um, and, uh, and so now's a good time to both find a successor for Rock USA and for me to, to move over and take on this special project, um, which I'll just note, um, you know, a big consideration for me is how do we bake the values uh, that are so important to Rock USA into this new subsidiary um, and uh, the way in which we have at Rock USA. Um, and I'll, I'll just note one of the ways we've baked our values into Rock USA um, that we undertook in 2013 um, and have invested in continually since is the development of an association of the, co of the communities we serve and those communities elect directors to the Rock USA board. So three of my bosses today at Rock USA are elected by the co-ops we serve and they serve and serve on the national board. Um, that's really important to ensure this organization remains singularly focused on supporting successful residential communities and that and standing shoulder to shoulder with the communities we serve, um, no matter no matter who sits in this seat going forward, uh, that that is a formal legal part of Rock USA LLC, um, which so now next step is, you know, how do we bake those values into the new subsidiary uh, and ensure that that subsidiary operate subsidiary operates in a brand uh, consistent manner um, and focused on the, the same mission, uh, just a different means of getting there. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's an exciting time. I'm I'm yeah. I'm so excited. And you know, hey, look, after 15 years, fresh leadership at Rock USA will will um, help Rock USA get to the next level as well and serve communities better, which I'm all I'm all for um, as well. So lots of good things. Yeah. Well, best of luck. It's uh, it, it, you know, it sounds like it's uh, it's it's badly needed. So you're you're needed. doing you're you're taking the right step. Um, yeah. So speaking of succession, um, while I was perusing through through the Rock USA website, I did notice that there seems to be uh, a lot of seniors that are are living in in these resident owned communities. Oh. So how how do they deal with the succession? And, and you know, like here in Canada, we talk a lot about uh, you know aging aging in place, accommodating uh, seniors to stay in their homes as long as possible with with services. So. How, how, how are you tackling that whole situation? Well, Christy, I guess Liberty Landings, uh, you've been a co-op for two years. Um, obviously, Holly has been the founding president and continues to be. Uh, there are discussions about succession of leadership uh, at Liberty Landing? Um, there are. Um, we The biggest thing that, that we work on, and I think all co-ops work on, is engagement. Um, you're just getting people to participate. Um, a lot of people, uh, there's an owner, like we're owners now. We all are owners. We each have one share, but we're owners. And it, sometimes it's difficult for people to make the transition from an owner mindset from a renter's mindset. And so getting engagement and getting people to participate in meetings and come to things, the big thing that we're working on is getting people to just come out. And I think once you start getting people who volunteer for small things to serve on a committee, then it's easier for them to 
think about becoming a board member. Um, we have actually had, since we started this process uh, with the interim board, we've had 12 board members. Um, Holly and I are the only two that were actually on the interim board. Um, our vice president and our secretary, uh, vice president and our treasurer and our ops directors have all had turnover. Um, so there are any time that we have uh, a position that comes open, there's always somebody there who's willing to step up, who's willing to to come out and and take a look at stuff. Um, as for aging in place, um, that's a, a bigger challenge. Um, we do have quite a few older people who live in our community. We are an all ages community, so we have you know families with little kids all the way up to elderly people. Um, most manufactured homes are one level, so you don't have the stairs or anything to worry about uh, on things like that. Um, people can do a lot of the same things that you would do in a regular house with grab bars and handles, adding ramps and such. Um, but it's that, that is a challenge. I think that's a challenge for anything in aging in place and affordable housing combined. Mm -hmm. And uh, so do you have much turnover? Over at Liberty Landing, Chrissy? Um, not really. Um, we've had two people move out uh, and have two people have moved out, and then we've had two new people move in. We have four homes for sale right now. Um, we've in the, the whole process to get something is, you know, they have to go through a background check. They have to go through a credit check. If they pass those, then I'm actually the one who calls them and talk about, I, you know, I let them know what exactly is it, what does it mean to live in the Liberty Landing Cooperative? What is, what are your responsibilities? What, what happens? What do you, what is required of you to live here? And uh, based on conversations that I have with people, I send them our bylaws, I send them our community rules, I answer any questions that they have. Um, and then based on that, I take it to the board and make a recommendation to either yes, approve them as a potential member or no, don't approve them as a potential member. Um, we've only had to turn down one person and that was that was their background check that came along. I mean, we like all communities, we want to we want to live in a safe community. So, you know, when background checks turn up something sketchy, we we had to make a decision there. Um, but it's it's up to the individual homeowner to market their home. We help them. You know, we, we have our website, we have our a marketing Facebook page, we have signs, we have, you know, all kinds of things, but uh, it's up to them to cross market. Um, there are a lot of people who come through and look, who think about, you know, living here. We talk to a lot of different people, but I want to say we have 184 homes and we've had two sales and we have four up for sale now. So out of 184 in two years, that's not a lot of turnover. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, obviously uh, it's a great place to live. So why why leave? I think so. <laughs> yeah, and, and Christy, how much are homes being listed for? What, what are the sales prices generally? Ah, uh, let's, I wanna say the most expensive one is 80,000. Um, there's roughly 60,000, 50, 60. The most expensive is 80. And yeah, they're and how big usually like about three, is it two, three bedrooms? Most of them are three bedrooms. Yes. Most of them uh, you buy are three bedroom, two bath. There are a couple of smaller ones. Um, we've had a small one that um, sold that was, I want to say two bedroom and two bath. Um, we have uh, one, I think that's a four bedroom, but oh, wow. it's, you know, it, it, 
like you can you can have a manufactured home built to pretty much your specification it just has to fit on a lot um Mm -hmm. so yeah Mm -hmm. most of them are most of them are you know three bedroom two bath and what happens if i don't know if this has happened uh in in liberty landing but let's say someone you know got a posting somewhere for a year with their with their work and they they want to rent their their home Is, is that possible do you have that in in your in your rules we do. Um, it would be only a temporary thing. And it's usually, um, say, somebody who has, uh, they have to move off for an illness or something like that. And they have a family member that wants to come in who is not the homeowner um, that will pay the lot rent and do that. But it it has to go before the board. And it would be, it, it wouldn't be you just decide to go do something. It would be something like you have a military posting or you have, uh, it, was a, it would be a hardship case is what something like that would be but yes we do have Mm. uh, a plan for that another question i had was uh, do any of the resident-owned communities hire property management or do do they do all of the the management themselves or is it a mixture Uh, we have a property manager um yeah i I have a lot of homes yeah we we have a lot of homes and i the thing is is none of us none of us are property managers property management my mother was a property manager for many many years for a, a real estate company and um that, that's a lot and most our, our board members all have full-time jobs you know we all work outside the home we don't we don't have time to deal with the minutia of being a property manager so we actually have a really good property management company that manages us um and they, you know, if there's something with the rent or there's communication and things like that, they they deal with most of that. And they have a, a, a website that has a portal that um, our residents can get into that we send out uh, communications through a portal that goes into email, things like that. So it's and, and to be honest, right now, the, the residents already know where I live. So they, you know, it's not uncommon for them to find me at the mail house or you know, to show up, but we, you know, I definitely don't want 184 different residents mm-hmm. showing up because they would think, oh, I only need it for just a minute. You know, they, they have to have a, a place that, that it can all funnel through. We, we prefer that mm-hmm. they don't come to us directly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that leads to burnout too, you know, and then you don't want, you know, people don't want to get involved in the governance if, if they're going to have to be dealing with exactly. the minutiae, as you different. say. Yeah. 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 Um, did you want to add anything to that, Paul? No, a historical note. In the early days of uh, in New Hampshire, we would train for self-management. And so <laughs> back in the day, okay. I, I worked with many treasurers with 13-column worksheets. And uh, and we <laughs> uh, that was just how it was done. And, uh, and at Rock USA, when we launched in 2008, we just made it a standard every resident community will have at least a paid financial manager if they're going to borrow from us. And uh, and for larger communities, certainly 184, like Liberty Landing, you know, full service property management, you know, uh, and, and Christy explained it perfectly. You know, people are busy and you also want, you know, just stepping back, you want a board of directors that isn't so consumed with the day-to-day because you what you want is is positive community leadership you know, with the foresight to build outdoor recreation centers uh, and <laughs> and have s'mores around a campfire on Friday night. I mean, you want uh, you want to encourage community building and support 
um, as opposed to, um, you know, chasing down park rules violations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's it's great. It, yeah, <laughs> it's called governing, you know, looking at the big picture. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, good. Um, is there has there ever been a, a circumstance, Paul, where you like it was decided that you know this community wouldn't be a good fit to become you know a resident-owned community, and and what you know what were the reasons, or what are uh, the reasons? Well, it happens. It happens uh, a couple of ways. Um, certainly, initially, uh, whether whether it's a community that uh, you know on the surface of it uh we, we think there's the potential for resident ownership you know what what makes for successful resident ownership are uh communities where the vast majority are homeowners where homeowners have demonstrated some investment in their homes and the community um because then they are more likely to want to get security of the land get control of the land um so there's that sort of initial screen around homeowners. Um, we you see it prevalent in some parts of the country where RVs are actually parked in manufactured home communities, and as an organization, you know we we pretty uh, we we limit uh, RVs, recreational vehicles, in manufactured home communities. Uh, you know, and I'll, I say it fundamentally. I the 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 RVs are not built as permanent homes. Manufactured homes are built as permanent homes. And so, um, so we wanna see communities of manufactured homes. Um, but then most important, frankly, is the process by which the community goes through to decide whether they wanna be a resident owned community or not. And, and, uh, and for that, we provide uh, you know, a, a forgivable loan so that the co-op members can come together, hire their own lawyer, hire uh, an engineer, get an appraisal, all the all the additional due diligence, including financing commitments, so that they have all of the information they need to assess the community themselves, and then come together as a membership at the conclusion of that process based on all the available information, make an informed democratic purchase, a decision to purchase or not. And if they choose not to, we write off that forgivable loan, no, no harm, no foul. If they choose to purchase, that due diligence loan goes into their financing package and it gets paid back. Um, but for us, you know, part of the way we meet that timetable uh, that I described earlier is, by providing them the resources so that they can get the third party expert help they need. Uh, in addition to our technical assistance, uh, facilitating that process so that people can make an informed democratic decision to purchase. And that decision is the most important decision because if, because homeowners and co-ops have done remarkable things, even in challenging circumstances, but it, it starts with commitment. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, we're paying careful attention to those, those vote percentages uh, and the process that co-op goes through to, to make that decision. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I think this concludes uh, our podcast episode for, for today. 
Uh, I think we, we have a, a very good overview of resident-owned communities that uh, that you've provided with us, you provided us today, um, and having your perspective, Christy, uh, of, of a resident uh, li living at Liberty Landing is uh, is really valuable, uh, and 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 so is yours, Paul, being uh, you know part of, of Rock USA and 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 one of the founders and. And, and now heading off into another uh, another aspect of uh, of acquiring land and, and competing with the, the with the big guns. Uh, very exciting, uh, very exciting to hear about uh, all of, all of this work and uh, and and very you know very innovative and uh, uh, just the fact that you know these are affordable homes. Uh, that people own, uh, and you know, and they're and they're already together, you know, in you know, in on one plot of land. Uh, it's uh, it just, you know, it's just a really beautiful way to to create community and, and to create this opportunity to to you know maintain affordability, which is so badly needed, uh, you know, these days. So uh, thank you for all the work that you do and you know and and christy for you know for all the work you do in your community uh and uh and spreading the word of the, the benefits of, of uh resident-owned communities uh thank you so much this was really fun to do together and, and christy yeah. did a wonderful job thank you for for joining me here and julie thanks for for uh, reaching out to us we're we really were happy to do this and spread the word so thanks thanks for helping us out thank you Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Co-op Conversations. We hope that it provided a better understanding of what life is like in a housing co-op. If you're interested in finding out more, you can visit us at housinginternational.coop. We feature many stories and resources on our website with useful tools, studies, and articles on topics ranging from governance to finance to sustainability and so on. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, where we like to share stories and good practices of co-op housing around the world. If you want to find a housing co-op in your region, I suggest that you do an online search for co-op housing along with the name of your city and hopefully something will come up. I would like to thank all of our guests for sharing their stories with us. Thanks for listening.